0: You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. I wanted to preach on surrender. I wanted to preach on God's call. I wanted to preach on reaching the world. And instead, we're back to our series on finances. And everyone's just so excited, I know, finances. Um, I know that subject is not nearly as exciting, but hear me out on this. Um, I think it's the kind of subject we need after a missions revival that was so helpful and so good. We need a practical way to reveal that our hearts really are surrendered to God. And uh, it's easy to talk about being fully surrendered, but when you deal with a subject like money, that's when you really find out. Very often that's where you see how surrendered you really are because few areas of life trip up more people than their finances. And especially when you consider how much debt people are in, so many people are limited in how surrendered they can be to God because of debt and they're bound to it. It's like a pair of handcuffs that they wear everywhere and, and therefore they can't fully give themselves in the, to, the, in, to the areas in which the Lord leads them because they're bound and so, in many ways, a subject like this is exactly the kind of thing that we need when it comes to surrender because we really do find out how surrendered we are. So, we've dealt with a few principles. I'm not going to review those. Uh, week one, having the right priorities. Week two, setting financial goals. Week three was accurate wage and know the state of thy flocks. And today's principle is a mindset that I think contributes to our tendencies to go into debt. And, and that is uh, too much, I'm calling it too much of a good thing. Too much of a good thing. Today, uh, Tim, Stephen, and I went to Who Hot. How many have ever been to Who Hot? Okay. Who Hot is, uh, I think there's going to be a few of those in heaven. I hope there's one close to my mansion. So, Who Hot, that's a joke, by the way. Um, but, maybe not. Okay, so Who Hot, we walked up to the, to the counter, and you've got all the noodles first, and you've got all the different... Um, the different meats and you've got the vegetables then you go to the sauces and Tim said something like this "It's like wow there's, there's a lot to choose from and there is a lot to choose from and I, I've gone to Who Hot before and I thought ooh I'll take some of that some of that some of that and by the time I get up there I can hardly carry it because my bowl is overflowing has that ever happened to you there and, and there's just so much to choose from that's almost too much of a good thing it would almost be easier if there were two noodles, two choices of meat, um, maybe no veggies. How about that? And then lots of different sauces still to choose from. Um, I, I do think in some ways, who hot is an indicator of, of one of the problems in our culture that we almost have too much of a good thing. We almost have too many choices. We almost have to always have it exactly the way we want it. Uh, and I was reading, um, uh, years ago, I was reading a book um, by a, a man named Dan Kindlon, who is, he's a psychologist, and, and he was telling a story about how he, he uh, had a chance to teach his seven-year-old daughter, Julia, an important lesson, and that Julia was getting dressed for day camp, and, and she realized that she had left her tennis shoes at their family's weekend home two hours away. You know, first world problems, Right. Her family's weekend home, two hours away, she left her tennis shoes, and, and so her gym shoes, she thought, it's such a big deal, if I don't have my gym shoes, I can't survive the week. You know, she's seven years old, she's telling her parents, we've got to go back, we've got to drive two hours to go get my gym shoes, so that I have my gym shoes, and and it seemed like a pretty simple solution for a seven-year-old, and she thought the shoes were essential. She thought her parents should go back, and she thought they should go get them, so Mom knew that wasn't reasonable, so mom's solution was, and this isn't a criticism of, of the of mom, this is just he's retelling the story, is that mom's solution was, well, you go to day camp today with your with your hiking shoes, and and then I will, when I get a chance, go buy you some new gym shoes, and I'll bring them to you so you have gym shoes. And that's not that's not a bad option, I guess, if you're thinking about you know being a help to your seven-year-old daughter, but But Dan Kinlon decided, you know what, I think she needs a a bigger lesson than that. So as you can imagine, what Dan did, he thought about it and told his daughter, listen, you can go barefoot. No, he didn't say that. Listen, you can go and you can wear your hiking shoes for the week and you'll survive without gym shoes. And that seems like a a silly thing, but I'm sure at first that his seven-year-old daughter was like, that's not going to work. I need my gym shoes, but it turns out after the first day, Julia did just fine, and after the second day, it was fine. After a week, it was actually fine. They were able to overcome this situation in which if he had folded, it may have not taught his daughter the lesson she needed to learn. See, Dan Kinlon, he taught psychology at Harvard, and he said for him it was a wake-up call. He's a secular professional and he came to the conclusion that too many parents overindulge their children so much or give them too much stuff or they cater to their every desire and every demand and every want and then they ask very little of them in return. And and he surveyed um, a thousand parents and hundreds of teens and he came to some conclusions and he wrote a book called Too Much of a Good Thing, Raising Children of Character in an Indulgent Age. And I've read the book. It's not a Christian book, but his observations are accurate. And Usually, in the world, they have pretty good observations. Their problem is that their solutions aren't always right. And so he has good observations, but, and he's right on track. But what's interesting to me is that he wrote the book back in 2003. And he saw these things coming, If we don't make some adjustments with our children, he saw the problems coming. And that was 18 years ago, which means a whole generation of young people have been raised with the overindulgent mindsets. And if you think that's not accurate, look around. We've had a wave of entitled young people who have to get everything the way they want it. Or they're not just throwing fits in Walmart, they're throwing fits on the streets of Portland, and other places. You know, in the last few years have more than revealed this faulty mindset. Mr. Kinlan was prophetic in his thinking. And, and we should just, by the way, let's just be honest. The problem here is not really the children. The problem starts with the parents. And, and we, have, we can do more to help our children not have this entitlement mentality than we realize, moms and dads. I mean, just last week, I think it was Wednesday, uh, right before the services, I think, for Missions Revival, I looked out the window of my office, and there's a group of teenagers, and one of the, the girls was standing on top of our bus out there, all the way up on top. Is that not a big deal? I mean, maybe you're like, well, what's the big deal? I stand on buses all the time. I thought it was a big deal. Yeah. like, what is she doing standing on her bus? I didn't recognize her. She wasn't a member of our church, and thankfully... And so um, I I went and found Brother Mike and Brother Mike and Mark uh, Grebel Mike Steen and Mark Grebel they went out there on a on a mission you know both you know former military guys and said you guys look like the right people to go address this so they went out and they they walked up to the kids and and they you know they basically said what are you doing on the bus and they think the response was well we didn't know you didn't know. What, you didn't know that you can't go climbing on people's property? So I, I wanted to be like, well, after church, we're all going to go to your house, and we're all going to stand on your mom's car, and we'll see what she thinks about that. Yeah. And we'll be like, well, we didn't know. Well, no, that's not a teenager problem. That's a parent problem. Right. Right. You know, that a parent hasn't taken the time to teach their children about the importance of, of character. And the importance of personal property and the importance of respecting other people. It's a cultural problem. We're a culture that has so much more than we need, and that's redefined what we think we need. We don't even realize how much we have. And the, I mean, the, if you think about it, the garage sale up here, they call them the, a rummage sale. But you know where I came from, it's a garage sale, a rummage sale. That's become a cultural icon in America because we have so much stuff that it takes us a whole weekend to get to sell all the extra junk we have to other people who already have too much stuff in their garages. They're going to take our stuff and then put it in the garage with the stuff they have and then they're going to have a garage sale. You know, and that's what's happening. So what's the process? Well, it starts with wanting more and then being discontent with what we have. And then after a while, it turns into indulgence. And then after that, over time, it turns into entitlement. It's where we are. So, what does this have to do with finances? Well, one of the root causes of bad finances is buying things we want but we don't really need. Amen. Impulse buying. Yeah. The advertising sector—they know how to get us. They—they they know their campaigns are targeted to get you to buy at the height of impulse, and nobody wants to wants you to think about your decision. They just want you to make a decision. They just want you to choose. And so they know if you make a decision over time, you'll likely talk yourself out of an impulse buy. I mean, just think about the placement of items at a checkout counter. I mean, is that really about convenience? No, it's not. It's a strategy. If they can get you to buy a drink or buy a candy bar, maybe even just at the last minute, you half the time you reach over and you buy a candy bar or you reach into the the little cooler and buy a a Pepsi, just think about if half the time people do that, think about how many millions or billions of dollars that will be spent extra on top of what everyone's already buying. It's called impulse buying and I don't have to convince you of it. It leads to debt. It leads to bad decisions and I'm not saying that buying a Pepsi at Walmart is gonna lead you to debt But that kind of thinking, if you do it enough, it will. Impulse buying has caused a lot of people to be in debt. And and not only that, it leads to bad decisions. It leads to an entitlement thinking. We have to look to something more solid than our emotions when it comes to what we buy. And our emotions will tell us we need this. Our emotions will say, you've got to have it. But we really need to go to God's word and find out what God's word says about some of these things. And, And so I just want to look at a few verses tonight to help us to think clearly about this. Proverbs 21, verse 5 is where we are. Look at that verse. It says, The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness, but of everyone that is hasty only to want. Everyone that is hasty only to want. And so you get the opposite. What the verse is essentially saying is you get the opposite of what you're looking for when you buy out of impulse. You have this desire, you have this want, you, you have this this you're missing something, and you've gotta you've gotta fill it. So you make a hasty decision to obtain it, but you just end up wanting more. Haste might make sense in the moment, but it always leaves you wanting. That's the idea here. Deliberate thinking actually leads to more fulfillment according to this verse. And and so we're talking about than a principle that, taught, that it says, be careful of the hasty purchases. Be careful of, of well, I want that, so I'm going to buy that without thinking about it. If, if you're in doubt about a purchase, if you're thinking about making a purchase, then I would say a good strategy is to wait. And you say, well, this, this is very basic, except that I think God's people get in trouble with this all the time. And when I say wait, I, w- I would say it came with this acronym. Wait means walk away. Okay? Just walk away. I've had to do that from, I mean, especially in car dealers. When we're looking for a new car and not a new car, I mean a used car, and they won't leave you alone, it, you know, you may feel bad about it, but you can walk away, just letting you know. Okay? Just cut the rope that they've, that they've tied around you and just walk away. So walk away, number two, so wait, walk away, two, ask a friend. If you take the time to ask somebody um, about a buy or an impulse decision um, and you explain the situation, if you take the time to ask somebody, you'll probably be talked out of it. So, and by the way, don't talk to an impulsive friend. They'll be like, man, that, that cotton candy machine sounds great, do it. I mean, I know it sounds great, but come on. No, no, talk to somebody who you trust and who has your best interest in mind. Talk to somebody who loves you. Talk to somebody who knows you. So walk away, ask a friend. Third, inspect your goals and your budget. Inspect it. In other words, before you make the decision, actually look at your bank account. Before you make a decision, go back and revisit your goals. Remember the goals we talked about a couple weeks ago? you want to have a certain amount maybe in in an emergency fund. And and so if you go back and you have your goals listed out somewhere, and then you compare your goals to that decision, that impulsive decision, you'll probably, you probably don't need to ask a friend, you'll probably talk yourself out of it. So walk away, ask a friend, inspect your goals and your budget, and then third and finally, most, maybe most importantly, wait, W-A-I-T, talk to God about it. It's amazing how if you were to simply honestly stop and pray about a big decision, you know, God is capable of leading you to make the right decision. I would just say, wait, don't be hasty. Because according to Proverbs 21.5, it leaves you in more want. If you, if you are the kind that makes hasty decisions, and by the way, um, husbands and wives, this is a point of contention in a lot of marriages, is usually, and I've talked about this before, usually you have one who's, who's Scrooge and, and one who's the, the free-spending hippie who just is out there spending all the money. And you need to set something up. Spouses, I'm serious about this, because of the issues it causes in marriages. You need to set something up with each other that if you're going to spend a certain amount, maybe even any amount at all, or um, over, over a certain amount, before you're going to spend a certain amount or more that you talk to each other about it. And that, that will help a lot in impulsive decisions as well. My, I mean, I, I don't, I mean I, we don't even have to with some things. I normally, though, all, I mean, just naturally call my wife before I make a big decision. And we haven't even really set that up. I just think if we're a team and we're working together, I want to tell her what I'm going to be spending. And I want her to tell me what she's going to be spending. We should do that. Husbands and wives. Let's take that, take that seriously tonight. Uh, so think about, um, let's think about the prodigal son. Let's just think about hasty spenders in the Bible. Think about the prodigal son. You know, he loosely, he impulsively spent in order to get what he thought he needed. And where did he end up? He ended up in want. He ended up in poverty. The prodigal son wanted all of his money. He spent all of his money without thought in great haste and he ended up in poverty. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 6. am just going to look at a, just a few passages. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And so I'm just going to read this passage. And, and from verse 5 on is kind of where the application starts to come in. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 1 It says, let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. So it's talking about the employee-employer relationship or servants and masters. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. So so he ends up here talking about those that there's a certain connection between a a certain mindset um, of teaching wrong doctrine and gain being godliness. And he's basically saying they think the more that you have, the more godly you are. The more that you own, the, the more stuff you have. And Paul says, from such withdraw thyself. People that are all about gain... All about gain, and even they'll even use it um, under the guise of godliness. Which, by the way, if you watch many TV preachers today, uh, I think if anyone read 1 Timothy 6 before they watched some of the guys on TV, they would turn it off. Because gain, I mean, he said, Paul says gain is not godliness. I mean, it's not health and wealth. It's not what he's teaching here. He says, but godliness with contentment, that's great gain. If you're a godly person and you're content in the Lord, that is where the true gain comes from. Verse 7, he says, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. The bottom line is that you're not enhanced by what you obtain in this life. It doesn't in the end actually really help. You don't get to carry it with you. Verse 8 and in having food and raiment, let us be there with content. He said, we, we should spend more time realizing how little we can get by on uh, rather than how much we can collect. Yeah. Now, and one of the, I mean, and I don't necessarily love all of it, but uh, you know, the, the minimalist uh, trend of, of li- the lifestyle of minimalists, um, I kind of appreciate in some ways. Now, I think tiny homes, I mean, come on, that's ridiculous. Amen. Maybe it's because I have five kids. Um, but a tiny home for me would be like a regular size house. So, uh, I mean, I don't get that. I mean, I see these people buying these little tiny 10 by 20 foot homes and they've got kids and my, I do not even understand that, but okay, to each their own, that's fine. Um, but there is something about a mindset that says, I don't need a lot of stuff to be happy. I don't have to have a lot of stuff. I don't have to have a lot of, of possessions to be content. And Paul says, content, true contentment comes with food and raiment and godliness. There you go. And if God blesses you with more than that, that's fine, but it shouldn't be what you live for. Yeah, sir. He says in verse 9, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. And, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Every time I drive by a casino in Sioux Falls, that's the verse I think about. They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. And into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. The only end of somebody that's always looking to make the hasty quick buck and get rich quick. The end is destruction. The end is poverty. For the love of money, he says, is the root of all evil. Which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And that's interesting that the love of money, the love of things and money affects your theology. It says that you've erred from the faith. And I find that to be interesting. That I mean, don't let anybody tell you that your lust for riches or desire to get rich or material gain, that, that, that it's not an issue. It is an issue. And, and listen, there are serious consequences here. Do, do you think being part of the wealthiest and most affluent nation at the most proper, prosperous time, um, as like America has been, do you think that's not affecting us? I think it is. I'd venture to say that we are affected by this desire to have stuff and we don't even realize it. We've been raised in it. We think you've got to have the And we do, we have, you know, we've got the two car garage and we've got a house and we've got furniture and, you know, our furniture doesn't look great. And we're like, we need to replace that. You know, it's a big deal to replace it because it looks bad and our kids ruin everything because they jump on stuff and they don't just go sit on on our couches. They jump from like the ceiling onto our couches like a pile driver. And it's like, what are you doing? Take care of the stuff we have. But you know, we don't need new couches, we just think, we think we do, because that's what you think when you live in America. The couch has to look good, and I mean, now my wife's going to be mad at me after talking about this tonight, but you know, that we've been been conditioned, whether or not we believe it, we've been conditioned to think that we need more if we're really going to be content. If we came in here tonight, I'm just, just to illustrate it tonight. If we came in here tonight and all the power in the building was off and we had candles, there be some of you would be upset about that. Yeah, maybe so. We would not be live streaming, okay? Because the power's out. And, you know, I think if we have a building like this and we have the tools to have, a, have a air conditioning and heating going on, we ought to use it. But if we didn't have any of it and all we had was candles, and we were meeting underground. Yep. That's enough. You say, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, th- I think it is. But if we came in here and the, air, or the heat wasn't working tonight. You say, the heat's not working tonight. It's freezing in here. <laughs> I get it. I mean, I understand. But do you see how we've been trained to think these things? You're right. And there are people in other countries that don't have a building like this. And they don't have heat. They don't have electricity. And if they, they turned the a light on and they were caught meeting as a church they'd be arrested and we have to be careful as Americans and especially parents not to train our kids to think if you don't have it all the way you want it then then you can let people know you just let them know and they'll fix it for you I think that's an entire we're we're creating and not even listen I don't even think we're doing it on purpose because you're good people but I think just the nature of where we live is training us to think we've got to have everything the way we want it, or we can't be happy. Right. Hebrews thirteen five. Just a few more verses here. Hebrews thirteen five. You know this verse, I know. And it, 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 let your conversation for Hebrews thirteen five. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, "I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee." Be content with such things as you have. Let Overindulgence, it points to discontentment. When you are overindulging, it's kind of like when we went to Who Hot today, I looked at Tim and I said, after our first plate, I said, Tim, are, are, are you going back for another round? I'm just curious. And he looked at me kind of like, uh, yeah, if you are. And so we went back for round two, didn't we? I'm ashamed. We went back for round two and it was good. Um, But, you know, overindulgence, in some ways, that meant we were still hungry. And that's fine. But overindulgence points to a lack of contentment. I I mean, if you're overindulging in something, it means that you're still not satisfied. And that's, and that, we've got to be careful of that mindset. Um, Paul, or whoever wrote Hebrews, I normally just attribute it to Paul uh, because it's easiest. But his, he says, in your conversation, let your conversation, that's your lifestyle, how you behave, let your conversation be without covetousness. And listen, we can say all we want to as committed, independent Baptists, followers of Christ, which is what we are. We can say all we want to that we don't love money and we're not preoccupied with stuff. But what do your spending habits say? Because he says here, let your conversation be without covetousness. Not what you say. It's not just what you say, it's how you're living. How do your spending habits, what do your spending habits say about your con, your contentment? Because he says, be content with such things as you have. And this is directly connected to our belief about whether or not God is enough for us. He says, be not, he says I'll never leave thee nor forsake you. I, I am everything that you need. Discontentment says, he's not enough. And that's a bad place to be. Turn over to Philippians chapter 4. Different kind of preaching than what I normally do, but... But just trying to give you an overview here tonight. I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 4. Verse 10. Philippians 4.10. He says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of what? Paul's in prison. The church of Philippi had taken care of him in good ways he said not that i speak in respect of want for i've learned in whatsoever state i am therewith to be content and that's a good verse for us to be reminded of we know that verse but when things don't go our way we have a tendency to make it obvious we're not happy about it he says there whatever i've learned whatever whatsoever state i am Therewith to be content. He says, I know both how to ab- be abased. I know how to abound. If it's bad, if it's good, everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. He didn't live a life of, of want. He had contentment, whatever he faced. He learned to handle the bad. He handled the good. He wasn't d- resigned to a life of poverty, but if it came, he was ready to handle it. Here's why. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. He viewed his sufficiency to be in Christ alone. He didn't depend on anything else to bring contentment. And this is where we fail our children, I think. Is that we fail to teach them or maybe we fail to show them what a life lived with all of our sufficiency in Jesus Christ looks like. And whether or not we say you can't be happy unless you have stuff. If we, if we operate a certain way, in some ways we model that. And what we need to do, parents and, and people in here that are bringing up another generation, is we need to be completely content in, our, in our, our sufficiency only be in Jesus Christ. That that is the reason we live. That is the reason we, we wake up in the morning. And we might, not, we might not say it, but we will operate as if we don't need Christ. See, because we have things, that we have everything we need. And, and we might not say it, but the truth is, it, it, being in want is good for us. Because, listen, because it's only when you're in want that you find out Christ is all you need. And maybe that's why so many Americans are marginal Christians. Is because we have everything we need. And because we have everything we need, then the importance of Christ in our lives is less obvious. We're not waking up every single day saying, God, if you don't provide, we're going to go without food. And Jesus, if you, if you don't provide, we won't, uh, we won't be able to sustain this very long. Uh, if you don't provide, we won't have heat. No, it's because we have, we have things and we, we aren't as dependent on him for his provision. And we don't dwell moment by moment depending or trusting. It is so sweet to trust in Jesus. We say that. But how often do we really trust in Jesus? Overindulgence reflects a lack of sufficiency in Christ. And I just go to Psalm 23, and I'm not going to read it for you. Um, let's quote Psalm 23:1. How does it start? The Lord is my. I shall not. See, when the Lord is your shepherd, you with certainty you shall not want. Why? Well, you, if you read it, you look what he's done, he, what he does when he's your shepherd is that you have green pastures, you have still waters, you've got daily provision. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness, which means that, that when I sin, he forgives me. And he leads me down right paths so I can live right. He gives me a table in the presence of mine enemies. Even when things are hard, I have peace and my cup runs over, joy and contentment. Those things are basics when the Lord is your shepherd and surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I, I, I can dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Those are the things that he provides and it could be that the reason that we're constantly thinking about what we lack or what we want is because we haven't found our sufficiency in our relationship with Jesus Christ as our shepherd. If you're discontent... Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And if you have discontentment, then that is less an indication of what you don't have. And it's more an indication of the fact that the Lord really isn't your shepherd. That you haven't really discovered the sufficiency that Jesus Christ is for the child of God. And I'm not saying that that, that there's not a reason to be upset because people have circumstances that are difficult. I I understand that. But David was in the valley of the shadow of death. Paul was in prison. Those are some pretty tough circumstances too. And the truth is, no matter how hard it is, if the Lord's your shepherd, he can make it so that in your heart you shall not want. You can be content... Without covetousness, without thinking of all the things that you lack, you can honestly still be content in Christ, no matter how hard it is. So tonight, I just want to remind you of some of the truths that we've seen. Overindulgence reflects deeper spiritual problems. When, when Paul said that to Timothy, he was saying, you know, that, that godliness with contentment is great gain. The ones saying that, all they're, they're perverse I mean, they're, they're evil surmisings. All those things. Discontentment is an, indica- an indication that there's something deeper spiritually going on. It, it's not just a moment. I mean, you need to examine. If, there is, if, if you're discontent in, in, as a replacement, you're overindulging in something, uh, what you want, you've got to have more. It reflects something deeper. Um, it, it It's an indication of, uh, uh, it points to a lack of gratitude when you've always got to have something else. And I know people like that, and you probably do too. It seems like um, no matter what they have, there's always something better out there. Yeah. And yeah, we've got this car, but boy, I really like that one. Did you see that one? We've got this house, but I really want to upgrade. Or I've got this job, and you know, three months in, I'm not happy here either. I really need something else. There's an indication that, that there's a lack of gratitude when that's the spirit. And, and I really think that discontentment and as a response overindulgence or, or always you know, trying to fill the gaps, it's an indication that we are missing our satisfaction in Jesus Christ as our all-sufficient sh- shepherd. In the end, overindulgence will leave you as empty as you started. I mean, it, he that's hasty, it says that he'll be left in want. Proverbs 21, we read that at the very beginning. Listen, nothing that you buy can satisfy you on on the deepest level. Not only that, overindulgence clearly leads to poverty, leads to want. So this mindset of having to have the next thing in front of me, it will leave you spiritually and physically destitute. So what's the answer? Well, the answer is let's find our contentment in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because we are not guaranteed... That we're going to have everything we ever need. But in Hebrews 13, we are guaranteed to always have Jesus. I'll never leave thee. I'll never forsake thee. The most important thing that you can do is get as close to him as possible. Want leads to discontentment. Discontentment leads to indulgence. Indulgence leads to entitlement. And I just need to go all the way back over here to that want. And, I did, and instead of trying to replace it with a new car, I need to insert Jesus Christ right there. That big hole of want and discontentment, instead of trying to upgrade my house, I, need to, I, just, need to, I just need to seek Jesus. And that hole of want because of a relationship that's lacking, um, listen, a, a different relationship is not going to fix that spiritual problem. The only thing that fixes that spiritual problem is Jesus Christ. I know people that they leave a church because they're discontent. And the church they go to can't fill that hole either. Because that that gap is a gap that only Jesus Christ can satisfy. People leave their spouses. That gap is still there. And eventually they'll be looking for something else to fill that gap. People move and they... Um, They leave a job, and they think, well, I've got to fill it. I've got to satisfy that want, and yet we just need to go back. The only way to fix it is to go back to the beginning and fix the want, which means we just have to go back to the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I firmly believe that most of our life problems begin when there's distance between us and God, and we try to fill fill that space in with things that aren't capable in any way of fixing what's missing. If we would simply go back to Christ, the ones that drive us to sin would be satisfied in him. So the title, again, of the sermon is Too Much of a Good Thing. And I I certainly believe that we live in a culture that's given us a taste of too much prosperity. It's left, left us independent of our need for Jesus Christ. And what we need to do is recognize that having too much of anything down here hurts us. But it's not possible to have too much of Christ. You can't max out. You can't overindulge. Um, the relate, that relationship is the one thing that you can always partake in and it never be too much. After my second trip at Who Hot today, I was full to the point of almost miserable. But I'm telling you, taste and see that the Lord is good. You could come and indulge forever in that relationship and and it, it would never be too much. And maybe it's time that parents, not just in our lives, but for our children's sake, we help them to see and model that our relationship with Christ is the only way to fix those wants. That relationship is the one thing that we need more of. So rather than looking for the next big raise, seek the Lord. And rather than having to have that one thing you've been wanting, Seek God and work on that relationship. Rather than feeling like you have to keep up with your neighbors, look up to Christ. And the wants that you've dealt with will disappear as you know him more and more. That's really where it's fixed. Let's stand together. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. Have you been seeking to satisfy something in your life apart from Jesus Christ? Have you been trying in, your, in your, be, your best efforts to fix a gap that's there with something other than Christ? Because it will be a fruitless endeavor. You won't be able to do it. Nothing apart from Christ can truly satisfy our souls. And so to go back then to finances, the problem is not just spending habits. The problem is a spiritual issue. And if we want to fix our impulse buying, one way to do it is to get to know Jesus like you never have. That relationship is what you need more of. If you're going to indulge, overindulge on anything, overindulge on your relationship with the Lord. And you'll find out that suddenly those things that you thought you wanted and had to have, they're not nearly as important anymore. So really, it's a spiritual fix.